This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. Tonight begins a new series of teachings and talks on the Four Noble Truths. How many here have uh, ever heard of the Four Noble Truths? Everybody. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So I'm talking to the choir. (laughs) Okay. Each week we will have a cover of one of the Noble Truths. So, of course, um, tonight being the first night, I will speak about uh, the First Noble Truth. And then in subsequent evenings, um, Shyla Catherine, our principal teacher for IMSB, will be here next week. The following week will be a guest teacher, Laura Lynn. Shyla will be back for week four. I want to lay a little bit of foundation since this is the first night in this series. So I'll just say um, a little bit about the Four Noble Truths themselves. Um, To become familiar with Buddhism, a person should have some understanding of the Four Noble Truths since they are the heart or the foundation of the teachings that the Buddha gave after his awakening. In his first sermon to his first group of students, it was called Turning the Wheel of the Dhamma. The Buddha gave these very core teachings about suffering and the end of suffering. We now know that teaching to be the Four Noble Truths. Almost all Buddhist traditions consider the Four Noble Truths to be the central teachings of the lineage. The Four Noble Truths are actually pointing us to things to do and not something to believe. Each truth requires action to be taken to realize its potential. This requires us to be very engaged with life as it's occurring for us so that we can experience the truths directly for ourselves. Therefore, this path is a path of practice rather than a mere intellectual pursuit. I'll speak more about the practice part later. The actual description of the Four Noble Truths from the Samyutta Nikaya 56, which is the connected discourses of the Buddha, reads thus. So this is what the, uh, the Buddha said to his disciples. Bhikkhus, there are these four noble truths. What for? The noble truth of suffering 
the noble truth of the origin of suffering, the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. These four noble truths, bhikkhus, are actual, unerring, not otherwise. Therefore, they are called noble truths. Therefore, bhikkhus, an exertion should be made to understand this is suffering. An exertion should be made to understand this is the way leading to the cessation of suffering. A more concise description of the Four Noble Truths is sometimes referred to as, first, suffering occurs. Number two, the cause of suffering is craving. Three, the possibility for ending suffering exists. And four, the cessation of suffering can be attained through the Noble Eightfold Path. In this context, noble means universal or standard, which is different than someone's personal truth. It also implies that these are the truths of the noble ones, or they are ennobling truths. By investigating them, we become more noble in our thoughts, words, and actions. So this series will cover each truth separately. I encourage you to come to each night to get a full understanding of how these teachings lay out the journey or the path to fully comprehend, to realize, and to accomplish full awakening. Tonight, I will speak about the first noble truth, which is how Buddha explained dukkha, which is the Pali word for the truth of suffering. The other talks in the series will speak about the cause, the end, and the journey to free ourselves from suffering. So for those reasons, you want to be sure and hear the whole series. Here is the teaching from the Samyutta Nikaya on the first noble truth. So I'm reading from Philip Moffat's book entitled Dancing with Life. So this is from one of the uh, discourses of the Buddha. The first noble truth. What is the noble truth of suffering? Birth is suffering Aging is suffering, and death is suffering. Dissociation from the loved is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. There is this noble truth of suffering. Such was the vision, insight, wisdom, knowing, and light that arose in me about things not heard before. That's the Buddha speaking. This noble truth must be penetrated to by fully understanding suffering. This noble truth has been penetrated to by fully understanding suffering. 
So he's pointing out the three aspects of things we must do to understand this noble truth. First of all, we must know it completely. Then we must have a full understanding of it. And then we must penetrate it with deep insight to know for ourselves. In the context of Buddha's teachings, dukkha refers to physical and mental stress. Another description from the suttas states, dukkha is sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair associating with the unloved, separated, separation from the loved, and not getting what one wants. Does that ever occur to you, <laughs> for you? But dukkha means something deeper than pain and misery. It is referring to the mental habit of reacting to our experiences. We do it constantly. We like this, we don't like that. Another translation of the word dukkha that I particularly like is unsatisfactoriness or dissatisfaction with conditioned phenomenon. All the ways we construct our our identity and form attachments to sensual phenomenon are ultimately unsatisfactory because they are always changing. Conditioned things can never bring lasting happiness. It is the basic dissatisfaction running through our lives, a deep underlying feeling that things are not quite perfect or adequate. I hope you're not getting despair at this point. (laughs) It can sound a little off-putting. There is no lasting resting point for the unliberated mind. We cannot escape unpleasant experiences. Can you see that for yourself? Sometimes we see it in subtle ways. Sometimes it's more obvious. We cannot escape unpleasant experiences. In the book, Buddha's Brain, any of you here familiar with that? Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen. He describes suffering this way. I like this one. Our vastly developed brain is fertile ground for a harvest of suffering. Only we humans worry about the future regret the past, and blame ourselves for the present. We get frustrated when we can't have what we want and disappointed when what we like ends. We suffer that we suffer. We get upset about being in pain, angry about dying, sad about waking up sad yet another day. This kind of suffering is constructed by the brain. It is made up, which is ironic, poignant, and supremely hopeful. For if the brain is the cause of suffering, it can also be its cure.
It is incorrect to think that the Buddha is saying all of life is suffering. When we say suffering occurs, it merely points to the existence of suffering. We are then facing the reality of dukkha. Buddha was considered a healer by many, and his path was the medicine to find relief from suffering. When he established the Four Noble Truths, he actually followed a medical model that was prevalent in uh, India at the time that he was alive. First of all, recognize there is a problem a disorder or a disease. So this is the medical model of the Four Noble Truths. So there's a problem. You have a disorder or a disease. There is a cause for it. There is a prognosis for a cure. And there is a treatment or action or course of action to take for the remedy. This model is very pragmatic because it is free of metaphysical beliefs that are required to understand and engage with it. It avoids dogma. Buddha transforms confusion and its suffering into non-confusion and non-suffering. What is distinctive about the Buddha's teaching is how to live in the here and now with things as they are. The practices and insights of this path can be verified for ourselves. The truths are a guide for the spiritual journey. In speaking about the first noble truth, um, it's important to... um, speak and draw a distinction between suffering and pain. Suffering and pain come with being human. We all know this as they come in many different forms, both internally and externally. We have physical injuries. We have mental mood swings. We are reactive to the events in the world and on and on. It's important, however, to understand the distinction between suffering and pain. Suffering is the mental reaction we overlay on an experience, whether that experience is pleasant or unpleasant. We are always commenting on it, aren't we, to ourselves, sometimes to others, Oh, this is good. Oh, that's bad. Oh, I really don't like that. Oh, this is wonderful. There's a wise saying regarding the distinction between pain and suffering. It goes, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Pain is an unavoidable reality of ordinary human existence. Buddha is not offering relief from pain. He's offering relief from the extra mental reactivity that causes us misery or an understanding of that reactivity and how to work with it. 
Suffering is optional because we react to our experience out of aversion to things that we don't want or like, whether it be physical, mental, or emotional. When there is pain, there is pain. Is it pleasant? No. Is it unpleasant? Yes. Do we like it? No. Unpleasant is just unpleasant. When we add a story to that experience, it becomes compounded and more stressful. All of our reactions to natural experience complicate and feed our suffering. There is less physical tension and mental stress when we accept pain for what it is, namely the momentary arising of uncomfortable sensations in these bodies, which are impermanent and never meant to be completely and always pain-free. We also suffer in reaction to emotions that arise in our experience, such as the emotional pain of loss, the natural response of sorrow. The teachings of the Buddha do not promise relief from the inevitable suffering arising from our human condition. The suffering referred to in the Four Noble Truths is the additional stress we overlay on experience by our reactions to them. This means all the ways we cling to thoughts and beliefs about what is acceptable in our experience and what is not. So there are insights that accompany the Four Noble Truths, which the Buddha laid out. There are three insights that are required to fully understand what the Buddha means by each of the Noble Truths. I said them earlier when I read from Philip Moffat's book, but I'm going to repeat them now. We must understand the noble truth completely. We must penetrate it with conscious awareness in our lives as it's occurring. And we must accept this truth as part of life and know how it affects our mind's reaction to experience. These are the three insights to be experienced with each truth for full liberation. How do we approach these understandings as a practice? Well, we need to be very um, courageous and explore dukkha as a felt experience in the moment. Philip Moffat calls it to feel the ouch of it. To say to ourselves, 
this moment is like this. I am suffering. This is how we show up for our lives. I had um, an exam. I have an example to tell you. <laughs> I had um, not, probably not a severe case of um, I want itis this week, but um, a strong one. Um, so, what is I want itis? It's inflammation of the I want organ. <laughs> Um, so I'll tell you the the story, and uh, perhaps some of you can relate to this. So um, my all-in-one printer, copier, scanner, right? Um, the printing and the copying have been doing fine. Something is not working with the scanner. So I was aware of this for a couple of weeks. So a couple of days ago, I thought, hey, I've paid for tech support. So I called up HP tech support. So the first day I was on the phone with the tech person for an hour on chat, and, you know, he did the remote control business and my input and stuff. And he did all kinds of stuff, and it didn't work. It didn't resolve the problem. So I said, I need to, <laughs> I need to um, end the call right now. So I called back the next day, had a case number. Second person, same thing, only she did some extra stuff, but still didn't resolve it. So at that point, you know, I could feel, I could feel the suffering really beginning to escalate. In the body, you know, there's, Lots of tension in the body. And then it's when the mind state kicked in that I can't take any more of this, that it was like over the edge. And so I, I recognized that um, I couldn't go any further with it at that time. So I said, I need to end this session. I'll have to come back to it another time. And so it was, I wanted that problem to be resolved badly, to be finished with it. Anybody ever have such an annoyance? Not everybody here. (laughs) So this is what happens. We have some experience and something doesn't go our way and we so want it to end. We so want it to be different. What about the other culture? I don't know if it's a cultural um, response. I wonder if it isn't. Do you think it's stronger culturally here than you've lived other places? Oh, I, um, I'm not 
mean, if you look at the way companies treat each other and the way big companies treat them, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. I'm sure there is some cultural influence. No no question. So we all have you know, if not daily, <laughs> you know, weekly, some little thing that happens that we don't want it. We want it to be different, right? So we really need to recognize to recognize the ouch of suffering. This is what's happening for me right now. To not run away from it, to not turn from it, to not be aversive, to not think that I did something wrong because I'm having these feelings. We need to comprehend the suffering by observing and being with it mindfully without judgment, without self-criticism, without personal reacting to ourselves, and without creating a story. I didn't get into, on the example I just gave, I didn't get into a place of making that person wrong or any of that. I just knew that I had reached my physical and mental limit of being able to stay with it in a, in a calm, coherent way. So we need to carry our own suffering when it's present without resistance to be with it with compassion and mindful awareness. This is what makes it a noble practice. We can lessen our suffering by turning toward it with interest and curiosity. The recognition of suffering when it is occurring is part of the spiritual journey. It deserves our wise attention and respect because it's common to all of us as humans. We begin to look at the small and large ways that suffering arises in our day-to-day experience. The small annoyances that reinforce a mindset of I don't like this. Notice in that moment how constricted the mind is. How deeply entrenched it is in that belief that this is not right. I don't like this. Maybe even I don't deserve this. We have to listen to our own stories. Instead, look at what's before you, a sound, a sight, a person, words. Really be with it as it is and let go of the thoughts of aversion as difficult as that is to do. As you know, 
letting go is a necessary part of the practice of this path. But that's getting ahead of ourselves in this series. I will leave it to the teachers in the subsequent weeks to speak more about the cause and the cessation of suffering. (laughs) The beauty of the teachings that the Buddha gave us is awareness that liberation is possible. He was a human being. He achieved full awakening, liberation of the mind. A mind that no longer suffers. A mind that is free of greed, hatred, and delusion. That is possible for us. In the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, Sutta 26, it's entitled The Noble Search. And it's referring to the noble search as the supreme security from bondage, nibbana. This is the noble search. Buddha taught about suffering and the way to the end of suffering. And I want to read how Buddha's disciples viewed him. This is from Bhikkhu Bodhi's book called The Noble Eightfold Path. To his own disciples, he was preeminently the arouser of the path unarisen before, the producer of the path not produced before, the declarer of the path not declared before, the knower of the path the seer of the path, the guide along the path. And he himself invites the seeker with the promise and challenge, you yourselves must strive. The Buddhas are only teachers. The meditative ones who practice the path are released from the bonds of evil. Suffering and the end of suffering are the cornerstones of Buddhism. This is not in a nihilistic way, but in a very pragmatic, wise way. Buddha says that life is inseparably tied to dukkha. When we recognize the truth of this teaching directly, we naturally want to become free of suffering. Liberation is when the pain of life no longer burns. When we fully know about suffering is when we are consciously reshaped by what we have learned. In other words, liberation cannot be attained by wishing for it. It requires the hard work, the understanding, the practice, and the effort that we give it. A serious search for liberation must offer a complete and final end of suffering in all forms. Ask yourself if that is your aim for practice and study. Practice is walking the path in this world one step at a time, 
one day at a time. Study is learning what the Buddha taught. These teachings offer full liberation, deliverance from suffering that can be verified in our own experience. It's up to us to do the work that leads to liberation. But how do we start? Ask yourself, when have I experienced enough suffering inflicted on myself and others that I am motivated to change? Start anywhere that is uncomfortable. I'm very much in favor of beginning with small ways like noticing when you get annoyed or irritated. Notice how that feels in the body. What are you reacting to that you don't approve of or like? Can you see how that triggered a mental response? How your reaction to it? It's a process we have to follow and investigate to come to know our own minds, our minds, our tendencies, and our habits. It can all be worked with. I invite you to trust yourself to do this important practice. Begin by asking yourself, what is my goal for practice? How diligent are you in moving toward that goal? What am I choosing to engage with? This is a quote from a teacher, Reginald Ray. We are called to see each arising of our day not as a threat, but as an opportunity. A chance to open our arms, lay down our weapons, and surrender to this exact moment of our life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.